episode number 45 of the Path to Fall podcast. I'm here with my high school American literature teacher, Miss Lauren Nordzik, and I'm very excited to, to have you on the podcast, Miss Nordzik. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for the generous invitation. Yeah, it's great to uh, reconnect, and I, I actually... I read your book recommendation in the in the few days since you uh, told me about it. I actually just finished it. Good. It's pretty crazy, right? It's wild. Well, I know it's a wild book. Well, I don't think I could have got through it if it wasn't such a page turner. Like I had to. I agree. Every every day, I was just trying to figure out what's going on with this family, what's going on with the world. I know. I know it's um, I think, too, like it's such an interesting book that obviously came out during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's so unsettling um, and so scary and obviously fits with a lot of what people are feeling. Luckily, we haven't gone through what the people in the book go through. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's, but it's kind of similar in that you don't really most of it. I was trying to figure out what is happening. What is going to happen? Is there some, it's a lot of anxiety, I feel like about not knowing. And that's why it was so similar, I think, to the pandemic. Yeah, I absolutely. And what did you think about that ending? Uh, with, with Rose, the girl, the young girl, right? The, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just finished it really 15 minutes ago. So I'm still yeah. thinking more about <laughs> it, but um. <laughs> I don't know. It really kept kept me reading for sure. And I didn't really see any of the, the hints as I was reading it. I thought they were almost exaggerating a little bit and they were kind of yeah. freaking themselves out. Totally. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've been looking up too just to see because I thought the ending was so like infuriating. I was like, wait, we, you know, the book's not done yet. Mm-hmm. You've got to give us like a little bit more kind of wrap up with a couple more chapters. Yep. So I've been really like looking up and, and seeing reviews. And that's why like selfishly, I'm trying to get so many people to read this book because I just want to like pick people's brains about it. Yeah, it feels like there's gonna there's a sequel coming for this. Maybe. I hope so. I don't know. They, they're making a show out of it, I saw with Julia Roberts. And Are I they think really? That, I think it's Denzel Washington who's going to be the other lead. G, G-H, right? Cause that's he, right. Because that's what they say he, he looks like, Denzel. Yep, um, yeah. How did you find out about this book, Leave the World Behind, by um, Ruman so, Alam? You know what? I I think I'm always looking to see, like, what are the new books that are going to be released monthly? And then I think just, you know, in talking with people, um, and especially, obviously, having, you know, colleagues in an English department who are reading a lot, like, we're constantly giving each other recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got this from another teacher um, from Conestoga and he's like, I, I didn't love this book, but like, I want you to read it. Mm-hmm. So that's how it was given to me. It's funny. Cause I was looking on, on Goodreads to see what other people thought of the book. And a lot of people really did not like it. Really hate it, which yeah. I thought was interesting too. I always like when I see, I'm like, what about this book? Like puts people off so much. And I totally agree. Cause I have those feelings too. Like mm-hmm. I don't like I don't love this book, but it's such a strange book because it's like, I don't love it, but I have to talk about it and I want a lot of people to read it. Yeah. And and, and I really think there's something to be said about how it, it keeps you going. Like from the yeah. very start, I was wondering 
what's going to happen here? And even though it didn't really fulfill, like nothing really huge happened, even though it no. was so creepy and scary. Yeah. I don't know. It kept me, it kept me reading, kept me engaged. Yeah. I'm going to look forward to seeing uh, what Netflix does with, you know, the adaption to mm -hmm. see if they like take it further than where the book took it. For sure. Yeah. Um, so interesting. I love the recommendation. That's, um, I got it from the library last week when you told me about it yeah. and, and got through it pretty quickly. So thank you yeah. for that and hope other people will check it out. It's definitely um, important to read right now. Interesting to read in, in the world today, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I um, think so too. But Ms. Norsig, let's let's maybe start the podcast and talk a little bit about your journey to becoming an English teacher and uh, and maybe how you got to Conestoga High School where I graduated in 2014. I had you in 10th grade American literature. Um, but how did you first kind of fall in love with English and decide to become an English teacher? Yeah, you know, it's interesting for me. I've like ever since I was little, I've, I've loved to read. That's always been a part of my life. Um, and I think when I was in high school, like you and I have talked about, you know, I had these English teachers that just, you know, I so connected with. Um, but what's interesting is that I actually went into college not thinking I was going to be an English teacher. I didn't like kind of know what I was going to do. I was like, I'm going to take a bunch of classes like freshman year and kind of figure it out. I was like, I, you know, I like English, but I also like, I love history. I was really interested in psychology. So like for a while I was like, maybe I'm going to be a psychology major. Um, and then I took an English class like the spring of my freshman year. And I was like, what am I, what am I doing? Like, this is like truly what I love. This is my favorite thing is to read and discuss literature. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it was really easy then to be an English major. But at that point, even saying I was an English major, I, I didn't think about being an English teacher. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I did all of these, you know, different internships, um, like in, you know, the summer in between all of my college years. And, you know, I like, I wrote for a newspaper and I did an internship with this, like, you know, big PR firm outside of Philly. I was like, maybe I'm going to do like PR, or, like do some type of marketing. And then I was like, literally the summer before my senior year, I was like, what am I going to do? Cause I really didn't like love a lot of the internships that I did. Um, and I was just sitting with my friend one night, like, I'll never forget this conversation. And she's like, Warren, I have to be honest with you. Like, why aren't you just becoming an English teacher? Like your favorite thing to do is to read and to be able to talk about books. Mm -hmm. And like, you could do that for the rest of your life and you could get paid for that. And this, like, just this switch went off in my brain. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm supposed to do here. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, obviously that's, that was like a little late in the game to decide that, um, but I was able to, you know, graduate from college. And then I went right into a really intensive program where you got your teaching certificate and your master's at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so I did like this condensed year that was really intense, but it was good. Um, and then I came out, I was a long-term sub for a little while at a lower Marion high school. Mm -hmm. And then I got hired as a long-term sub at Conestoga. And like a year and a half later, I was able to get a contract. Awesome. And here I am. And here you are. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, what is the process of the teaching certificate like for public schools? Because I, I, I did a master's program and at an independent school, I didn't have to take any tests or get a teaching certificate, but I'm a little bit curious about what that, what that process was like and what your experience was like with the joint master's degree and the teaching certificate. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I mean, it could, this was obviously like well over a decade ago because I'm getting old, but I think it's still similar. I mean, you know, you basically, what you do is as long as I think you're coming out with an undergrad degree in what you want to teach, like as long as you have enough credits, um, you take uh, basically, it's called a praxis exam. Um, and that is, is a test you know, um, like that's a general teaching test and then a specific test to like the, you know, the content that you want to teach, um, the subject that you want to teach. Um, so you do that and then you go through like some type of program where you officially get, get certified. Mm -hmm. So I was doing all that plus, you know, doing a master's program. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it was a lot, it was definitely like, I'm really glad I did it, but it was, it was a busy year to try and, and manage that for sure. And I think too, you know, you make that decision and you like, you kind of quickly jump into this thing and you're like, okay, like I'm doing this. I'm putting all my eggs into the teaching basket. Like, I hope this works out. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough that it did. Now, when you, when you started teaching, did you have like a, a mentor teacher or someone who showed you the ropes at lower Marion as a long-term sub or at Conestoga as a long-term sub, or were you, were you kind of just thrown into the classroom and given a curriculum and, and had to figure out how to teach on your own? Like how, how were those first couple of years of teaching for you? How did they play yeah, out? It's, you know, it's really nice. Like in the public schools, there is this um, kind of formal mentorship program where as a young teacher, you are given a mentor, like another teacher that kind of walks you through everything. Um, so yeah, I had like kind of that formal, you know, mentorship, but I also just, have, you know, been so lucky at Lower Marion and at Conestoga that I met such amazing fellow teachers. Um, I have one teacher in particular um, who I got super close with at Lower Marion um, and I mean, we still keep in touch today. We still see each other, you know, at least a few times a year. Um, and she's just always been like such a great person, I think, to talk to, especially in those early years, you know, when you and I have talked about, I think those first like three to four years of teaching are so hard mm -hmm. um, because everything's so new, you know? Um, so to have like a person who can like walk you through and like if you're having a bad day be like this crazy thing happened to me today like what do you think about this mm -hmm. um is really helpful so i have her from laura marion um and then you know i mean obviously you're familiar with the english department at conestoga like we're so lucky that we have such amazing people in the department and really in the whole school but obviously yeah. i know the department really well no, I was um, so, I was yeah. thinking about uh, when you were coming on. I was thinking about my English teachers at Conestoga, and I I really had some great teachers. You, Miss Shepherd, Miss yeah. Abarvia, like I, I think all of those classes were really impactful for me. And part of that is because I've always loved English, and I like you have really uh, taken to those classes. But um, some definitely some some great teachers I had in in English at Conestoga. Yeah, we're, we're really lucky. I think what's great is, you know, we have 
such a, you know, huge number of great teachers, but also teachers that um, have like different styles, like different ways of teaching, which I think is great for students to be able to have an experience with four different teachers, right, throughout their high school career, maybe three, if they have the same teacher, like, you know, a couple years in a row. Um, but you get great teaching, but you get experience with those different kinds of styles, you know, mm -hmm. like think about like Miss Shepard, like versus me versus Mrs. Abarbia, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you, you got some, some different awesome experiences there, which is great. So when I think back to your class, I, I kind of remember you sitting almost in the front of the classroom with like a, a U shaped with all the all the students yeah. sitting around. What would you say your style of, of teaching English is? How would you describe it? Yeah, it's funny, like from what you remember, I mean, you know, I, I still teach that way. Mm -hmm. I think for me, like I've always, you know, wanted to be just kind of like on the same level as the students and just you know, really, I think, especially for an English classroom, have like a discussion based course. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, that's something that's that's always worked. Like I always believe in having students be able to like see each other. Like I never have more than, you know, two rows of desks so that, you know, you have a back row, but it's only like one back row. You know, you don't have like kids all the way in like the back of the room with like, you know, five rows of desks ahead of them. Mm -hmm. um, just because I kind of want everybody to be able to like be together and feel like they can, you know, all be a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. How do you, uh, and I've kind of experienced maybe a little bit different in terms of class size. My, cl my class sizes are fairly small here with, yeah. with an all boys school of, you know, I have 15 at most kids in, in my class, but I know at yeah. Conestoga there's, there's more than that in the classroom, probably upwards of 20. How do you, um, how is it managing so many students in the same room? What is that? What is that like for you? And how do you incorporate some of the, some of the girls and guys who maybe don't speak much in class or or have a harder time uh, expressing themselves, like with such a larger number of students? Yeah, you know, it, I mean, it is really challenging. And I think, you know, on average, I'm always looking at probably like you know, like 22 to 23 kids per class, mm -hmm. but like you can have, like, I have a class this year of 26, 27, you know, I've had these bigger groups. And I think for me, something that's just always worked is to make sure that in each class, even if, if the class really is discussion based, which like I said, you know, most of my classes are that I'm able to give kids different ways that they can participate. So you might have a kid who doesn't necessarily always want to like put their hands up and like jump in the conversation, but you know, they're able to maybe do that through writing, right? They're able to show me that they're still engaged without having to like always be the kid talking during every discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like, you know, in the time period we're teaching in now, like technology has been so great for that because now that kids have laptops, you know, you can have the regular class discussion, but you could also maybe have like a back channel going during the class discussion where the kids who don't want to jump in can still be like typing questions that they have or things that they're thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, so that way then I can be like, okay, you know, Jane is in the back and she's really quiet and she might not always want to jump in there, but I can see that she's with us and she's asking these like really important questions right um to help kind of push our discussion along um so thank goodness i think for technology that as teachers enables us 
you know, or gives kids the opportunity to be able to participate in, in ways that really fit with their learning styles. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and that kind of makes me think a little bit about this year and, and half of last year and how yeah. you've been able to manage teaching English during COVID. And I, I've struggled with similar questions, but I feel like, um, I feel like teaching English has actually made the switch over to um, COVID, I mean, hybrid learning a little bit easier because yeah. a lot of what I do too is discussion-based. So it's been, no, not easy, but it's been a little bit easier maybe than science and, you know, math classes in that we can read, read the book, read the chapters, and then come into our Zoom meeting and have a conversation over Zoom for the most part. But what has it been like this year for you and, and what has been working really well for you, do you think, in terms of your your Zoom practices? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think I I think back to last summer when where we knew that, you know, we would be having these classes. We use Teams. Mm -hmm. Um so we knew that we'd be using Teams to, you know, and have every kid in there we'd be talking to each class. Um, and I was so nervous because I'm okay with technology, but I wouldn't necessarily say that my teaching style is that I'm like constantly, like every part of my lesson is technology based. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just not necessarily my style. So I knew there'd be a little bit of a learning curve. Um, but I agree with you is that I think what's nice about English is that, you know, via teams, you can still have these conversations. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the challenge is, you know, having some kids feel comfortable participating in a discussion via Teams because it does feel different than when you're in the classroom and you're kind of like looking at your classmates and, and looking at me. Um, so that's been hard. Um, but on the other hand, for some kids like this format for them has worked really well. Yeah, I've had kids tell me like, man, like virtual for me worked, like hybrid really worked. Like I like that. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I think it's just about like knowing your kids as individuals and being able to like meet their needs. Um, but, you know, I think there are just like little kind of tips and tricks that I've learned along the way. Like when we were all virtual, something that was really helpful um, is that we would use breakout rooms. Mm -hmm. um, so I could still put my students into small groups where I could like, you know, assign each group. I'm gonna be like, okay, guys, you're the expert in this topic. So I want you to chat about it. And then I want you to come back to our main group ready to share like three or four points that you made about your topic while you were discussing with, you know, maybe four other students. Um, so that really was like a lifeline for me once we had access to having those breakout rooms. Um, mm -hmm. Because to go back to your original question of like stuff that you know, works in the classroom for me, you know, depending on the different types of styles of kids in front of me. I do a lot of like think pair shares. Mm -hmm. If you think back to like, you know, they do that in a lot of like teacher training stuff where you're like, okay, think about this individually. And then I want you to share it with one other person. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I want you as a pair to go into another group and share what you guys talked about. And then we can share it as a group. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I find if students have the opportunity to be able to talk with like a smaller group or with just one other person, then they're way more likely to share with the whole group if they've already had like a chance to be able to talk about it. Yeah. Um, especially for the quieter students. Totally. So I think that's worked really well. 
you know, being back now um, in our model is that we have a lot of students back in the classroom who choose to be, um, and then some students are still choosing to stay home. So right now what I'm doing is I have kids in front of me that I'm teaching, and then um, I have, you know, my teams open with my camera in my classroom. And so I'm teaching, you know, kids at home and kids in front of me. Yep. So that's a little trickier. Right. Um, but, you know, I think you just sort of get used to that, that style too, where a kid will say something in the classroom, you know, and then I'll be like, okay, for people at home, this is something that Johnny just said, that's like really interesting. Mm -hmm. And just make sure that like the kids at home and the kids in the classroom are still able to, in some ways, engage with each other. Right. You know, but it's certainly not perfect. Like I think we've all been been learning as we go with this year. Yep. Continuing to be creative and, and try new things out, see what's worked. Just like when you start teaching. I mean, yeah. that's one of the things for me that has been good, I think, is I just came out of a, a master's program that was mostly online because it was it, wow. was, it was like a virtual master's program. Wow. And and I've been comfortable with Canvas, like I've used mm -hmm zoom before i i kind of know how some of this works but um just using some of the things that i learned through that program right when the pandemic hit really helped me out a little bit but i get that it's you know I, not everyone had that virtual learning experience so it was, it was hard last year to getting thrown into that yeah i can imagine too like you know i've been thinking about you guys as young teachers here you are like so brand new to this profession right i mean even like for me i still feel like kind of new to this profession. I'm still learning so much, but for you guys, you're like brand new and then you're thrown this global pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, okay, I was just getting my feet wet and now I have to like change up what I'm doing. But I think it'll be, it'll be good because it's giving us all new skills yep. that maybe we didn't have the opportunity to try before. You know, if you want to look at the silver lining, like like you said, you've been able to try new things. Like we have a platform to do that when maybe in a typical school year, you know, we wouldn't have had that. For sure. Um, so thinking about a typical school year and you, ha you have experience in the classroom. I'm a newbie. I'm in my, my third year this year. What, what piece of advice do you think you'd give younger English teachers like me who are just getting their, their feet wet in the classroom? I think like, you know, something that someone said to me early on that I've always thought about, it's so simple, but like be yourself. I think sometimes, you know, teachers might, new teachers might feel like, okay, I have this like idea in my, in my head about like what my personality should be when I'm in front of the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, but if that's not like your personality outside of the classroom and you've got a sort of like put on this whole act every time you're in front of students, like that's going to get really exhausting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think in, in these early years of teaching, like really get to know yourself and get to know, like, how am I effective as a teacher? Um, and that might be different from like someone else who, you know, um, and then, you know, always kind of be, you know, crafting lessons and doing stuff with your students that fits with your personality. Mm -hmm. um, so like, for instance, um, you know, for us at Conestoga, another reason my department is so great is that we all share materials all the time. Um, we all help each other out. But, you know, something that I've always said to like younger teachers that I've been mentoring is like, hey, here's a lesson that I did that worked really well for me and worked really well for the students that I'm teaching this year. 
take a look at it. You're welcome to use it, but also like you might need to tweak it because this might not work for your teaching style. This might not work for the kids that are in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, like, don't be afraid to like, you know, if you get this great lesson and you're like, I think this is really good and I want to do this, but like, I'm going to do it in a different way that I think works like for me, Mm -hmm. um, or again, works for the kids in front of, in front of me. Um, I always encourage, you know, teachers to do that, like personalize it. For sure. Yeah. That was my, I think biggest takeaway from my first year's teaching. My first two years is I had a mentor through this program who teaches at Gilman, teaches English at Gilman, uh, coaches lacrosse too. So it was a perfect pairing for me. And I would, I would go to his classes during first period, watch him teach and then go teach my section during second period. And I only had one class that year. So I had a lot of time to kind of figure it out and, and prep and plan. But at the beginning I would, I would try to just word for word, almost do exactly what he was doing. Yep. And it wouldn't work that well because that's just yeah. not, it's such a personality thing that yep. I had to really learn in those first couple of years is like exactly what you said, it tweaked the lessons adapted to your personality, what would work for your class, right? Because our classes were so different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's such a, such a style and personality that takes time to develop. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, know, like I was saying earlier, like know that your students are going to appreciate you like being your true self in front of them. You know, I think uh, kids, kids know when you're like putting on an act, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like teenagers are really savvy. So um, I think just like trust that, that they want you to see, you know, you be yourself mm-hmm. instead of this like kind of like, you know, different type of personality that you're sort of or style that you're kind of trying on. For sure. Yeah, they can, they can see through it. Um. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so Miss Nordzik, tell me a little bit about uh, what you teach at Conestoga and maybe how you've and your colleagues at Conestoga have developed that curriculum uh, over time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mostly have taught um, freshmen and sophomores. So for us at Conestoga, as you know, sophomore year is American Lit, and that still is true. Um, our freshman year curriculum has gone through some changes. Um, it used to just be strictly like we called it world lit. Mm-hmm. This year we changed um, the name and we call it literary foundations because we wanted ninth grade to be more of like, you know, an introduction into the course uh, or into like, you know, like an English class, basically mm-hmm. like a high school English class. Um, so yeah, something that's great about, you know, again, people that I teach with and, you know, just the whole department is, I think we're all always kind of looking to make changes if we feel like we need to. Um, So we have definitely like, I mean, year to year, like tweaked the curriculum Um, and a big push that we've been working on lately, I'd say in the past, probably like few years um, is just a lot of work that deals with equity. Um, So to look at our curriculum, you know, and to think about, do we have diverse voices? Mm-hmm. You know, like who who's writing these books that we're teaching um, and, you know, to be frank, to make sure we don't just have a bunch of like dead white guys. And that's our whole curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been really proud lately of the changes that we've made where we've br- brought in, you know, more diversity, um, more of contemporary texts, like more, um, you know, YA novels, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say that's probably, you know, been the biggest things that we have been been working on lately 
What's your favorite text, either novel or poem or short story or personal essay? What's your favorite text to teach in both of your classes, ninth and 10th yeah. grade? Um, um, you know, my, I love American lit because that's really a lot of what my undergrad study was in. And I think just, I also love history and I love like American history. So teaching American lit has always worked really well for me. Um, I always love doing like, uh, you know, the unit where I'm teaching stuff from the 19th century. So obviously for me, like I love Scarlet Letter. I've, I've loved to teach it. I love teaching Hawthorne. Um, but also then, you know, pairing with Hawthorne, I like teaching like a lot of the women writers in like kind of the latter part of the 19th century who were publishing at the time. Mm -hmm. So I think about short stories like The Yellow Wallpaper, right, by Charlotte, um, you know, Perkins Gilman. Uh, I don't know if we read that when you were with me, but it's such a memorable short story. Um, I find students like come back years later and they're like, yeah, I still remember that story, yellow wallpaper that we wet read with that like really wild ending. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I would say that's probably for American lit, just stuff that's in the 19th century is what I love. Um, you know, even though honestly, I love everything we teach because I also think about Great Gatsby is so awesome to teach. Um, I've taught Native Son every year, and that's like such a powerful book that I think really sticks with kids. Um, so I'm lucky. I mean, the American Lit curriculum is is so strong. Um, and then um, with uh, our ninth grade curriculum, a book that I started teaching probably like maybe four or five years ago um, is the novel The Kite Runner. Yeah, I love that by one. By Helen Hosseini. Yeah, and it's a really um, tough book to teach for a lot of reasons, but I have had so many of my freshman students say, like, this book was so good. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll be like, Miss Nortzik, I didn't read anything freshman year with you, but I read The Kite Runner, and I still <laughs> remember it, and I thought it was so great. Yep. Um, so I think that that's been probably, like, one of my favorites in ninth grade that I've taught. Yeah, I remember reading that one. That that's a great that's a great book. Um yeah. but but the Scarlet Letter is something that I teach in eleventh grade American literature here. And I first read it in, in your class and loved it. And that's yeah. I, I don't know, I'm always so, kind of surprised because it's 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 a tough book, right? It's dense and it's um the language is hard to get used to and I'm never really mm -hmm. sure how it's going to go when I teach it as the first book in 11th grade American lit, but a lot of the guys here have really liked it a lot. Um, and even, even guys that you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect would even really read it or engage with it. It's their favorite book. Um, how That's did great. you, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's gotta be so interesting to teach that book with all boys. Yeah. You know, like I've never had that experience. I went to an all girl high school so I've had like the single sex experience as a high school student, but like, yeah, to teach something like, you know, the Scarlet Letter to 15 boys, I, I think that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, I think they connect well with just like the Dimsdale Chillingworth dynamic, but I also think so there's good. so much about Hester Prynne that's relatable for anyone, really. It doesn't matter. And it's interesting that she's the protagonist of the story written during that yeah. time period, but um, they connect well with her too, because she's got a lot of those qualities that I think are so admirable for anyone. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I was just talking about that in my, you know, last week when we were talking about, you know, the, the chapters that were on with the Scarlet Letter. You know, I was just pointing out it, it's that moment where Hester is in Governor Bellingham's house and she's basically arguing in front of all of the most powerful men mm -hmm. in the village. She's arguing about why she should be able to keep her daughter. And she's just, she's doing it in such a strong way. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it is amazing to see, right? Like Hawthorne, here's this man who's writing this book in 1849 and he's able to create such a strong female character who mm -hmm. is like so rebellious against a really, you know, strict community. She's so strong. I mean, just the fact that she goes through this, you know, this quote unquote crime that she commits and she's able to like keep going and she's able to do that too as as a mom right as like a single mom mm -hmm. um is yeah i think the word admirable that you used is a really really good one to use so as much as i think also what's interesting about their th that book is that there's a lot you can critique about how hawthorne writes about women mm -hmm. um he did create this like incredible main character yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, are there certain maybe current events or just other resources that you bring in to, I know you're teaching the Scarlet Letter right now. Is there anything that's yeah. worked really well for you recently in terms of what else you've brought into that conversation about Hester Prynne or about some of the other characters in, in the novel? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've talked in the last few years as, as I've, you know, done Scarlet Letter with my classes, we've talked so much about the Me Too movement. You know, and just, um, you know, thinking about how, you know, what's happening with the Me Too movement in the last few years connects with some of these themes that, that Hawthorne is bringing up, right? Because, you know, you think about the two really powerful motifs of like shame and guilt, mm -hmm. right? These two topics that are like ever present in this novel. Um, and, you know, you obviously, even though you know, no matter how you identify in terms of gender, we as human beings all experience shame and guilt. Um, when you look at that through like a feminist lens and you're looking at, you know, how women specifically are treated, right? And, and the experiences that they go through in feeling shame and guilt. Um, I think that connects so much with, you know, what's been brought up with the Me Too movement lately. Awesome. Yeah, I think there's so much that can be applied to uh, to the Scarlet Letter. I mean, to everything that we teach, but that yeah. book in particular, I've I've brought in um, just a lot of current events. Like I remember in in the fall, I was bringing in some kind of the the conversation about cancel culture too, and yeah. and banishment from society for what you say, what you do, and just I think the fact of um, how how people don't forgive her or don't like that first scene sticks out to me how she's being blamed automatically and mistreated in the mob uh, yeah. and the mob mentality and kind of those types of conversations have worked well for me too. So I think, I think that's one of the beauties of that book is that it, it's timeless in some of the ideas and the feelings, shame, guilt, uh, penalties, punishment, forgiveness, yeah. all of that is relevant today. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back to, to stuff we were talking about before, you know, as we think, you know, we ask the question every June, okay, what do we still want to teach? Like, what is still working? What do we want to get rid of? You know, and you would think like Scarlet Letter from this, 
dead white guy, you know, would be maybe something that we feel like in 2021 doesn't like maybe fit is not doesn't feel contemporary anymore. But like you said, I mean, it is like, I like the word timeless that you used. It, mm -hmm. it really feels like it does still fit this book from, you know, 1849, 1850 is still touching on, you know, what it means to be American, mm -hmm. the good stuff and the bad stuff. Right. Um, yeah. And something else too, that I've been doing a lot lately with Scarlet Letter is I've been using that book to introduce the concept of the other in literature. So who are these characters in these pieces of literature that we read that are othered and like, why are they othered? What are the effects? Mm -hmm. um, and something that sort of feels like it's happening off stage with the Scarlet Letter, but feels more and more important as I read the book. Um, is the way that um, indigenous people are talked about by Hawthorne in the book. Mm -hmm. So we get these, you know, really weird descriptions um, because we know Chillingworth basically like shows up out of the woods and he's been living with an indigenous tribe um, and like learning from them. But there's a lot of these really negative depictions of, of indigenous people mm -hmm. um so something i bring up with my students is like look at how hawthorne is othering this entire population mm -hmm. so if you were someone reading this book and you had never met an indigenous person what would you think about indigenous people from the way hawthorne describes them right not such you know positive things that you'd be thinking about um so again even though that is sort of this like off stage, not like the main plot. Mm -hmm. um, that's something I've tried to, to clue my students into as well as we've been reading. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And I think because there's so much focus on the people who have kind of control over the society and looking at them, uh, trying to maybe think about some of the other figures that play a hand and have a role, maybe, you know, not the most important ones in, in the story, but still uh, worth talking about, worth discussing. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Miss Nordzik, a couple more questions. I'm thinking about uh Conestoga and maybe some of the other teachers that you work with, some of the other coaches, some of the other people there. Um if yeah. you were if you were to do a podcast and you were to talk to someone from Conestoga, who would you who would you have on? Who would you want to maybe learn more about that you don't know that well? And and oh, who that impresses you that, well. that impresses like that. you in general? I love that. That's like a little bit of a curveball because I was thinking you'd ask like, who would you do a podcast with? Um, yeah. So, you know, I always, I think this is just kind of natural, like at the high school level when you have a big school like Conestoga, I'm mainly working with the English department every day. Mm -hmm. So I would love to be able to talk with people in different departments to be able to like talk with um, a math teacher about like, okay, what's like, what's your teaching style? How do you teach algebra to mm -hmm. students? Yep. Um, so yeah, I don't necessarily know like who specifically, you know, that might be, but um, yeah, I always am thinking like, I wish I had more time to talk to people um, in different departments and to kind of be able to pick their brains. Yeah. Especially right now. I've, I felt like I've only really, you know, rub shoulders with this year, the English department and the people yeah. I share an office with and people I coach with. And like, I haven't seen many of the science and math teachers just because they're in different wings of the school and we're yeah. all so separated right now. So that's something that I want to do more of too, is get some of those other teachers 
uh, science, math, Latin teachers in here that yeah. I don't get to see. We don't have lunch together anymore. So that's no. that's really the, uh, the reason I started the podcast in general is to try to talk to some other people and see what they do in, in school and see what they do outside of school too. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, what, what have you been doing kind of to balance yourself during the pandemic outside of, I know reading, that's what you love to do, maybe outside of reading and, and writing as your job. And that's what I love about my job too, is I'm doing that all yeah. day and I yeah. like to read for pleasure too on my own. But is there anything else that you've uh, been doing recently in this past year that's been beneficial for you? Yeah, well, I've been growing a baby. I'm oh, seven true, months true. pregnant. So <laughs> <laughs> that's something. That's been a big that's been the big thing on my mind. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's been interesting, you know, to go through this this pandemic um pregnant. Mm -hmm. But um yeah, I think, you know, I hate to sound like a typical person like in their mid thirties, but I actually did start baking my own bread during mm -hmm. the pandemic, like so many people have talked about. Yeah. Um, and I have loved that. That's been something I think to be able, you know, making bread, but also doing like other types of, of cooking, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, I think when we were all home, mm -hmm. um, for me, that's kind of like given me some nice structure to my day. Um, so that's something that I've been doing, I think a lot more of um, than I did maybe like, you know, before the pandemic started. For sure. Um, yeah, but definitely, like you already said, like, I've been doing so much reading yeah. i really have and like i always read but there's something i think in the last year or so that's just been really comforting about you know kind of making sure i have this like big chunk of time before i go to bed mm -hmm. where i can get a lot of reading done yeah well I, I was saying to my students it's like it's almost it's almost nice that you can take your eyes away from the screen for 30 minutes or whatever and just look yeah. at a book Right. Totally. Because we're on we're on Zoom all day. Like reading is kind of more relaxing than it usually is. I completely agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's been it's been a great outlet for me. And again, not you know, I've I've always read, you know, like every night before I go to bed, but I've been, I think, doing a lot more of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for uh agreeing to come on the podcast. It was great catching up with you. Um Great to see you again. It's been a while, but I'm glad that we can connect over uh, what we teach, American literature. Um, I had, you know, I had a great experience in your class, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to study English and and teach is because of all my teachers at Conestoga. So it's great to uh, to see you again, and and I hope we can continue to keep in touch over this. Yeah, absolutely, Jake. I really appreciate you, you know, thinking of me and bringing me on. I'm glad you're doing this podcast. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to get yeah. some more Conestoga people on here for sure. Miss totally. Shepard. I'll spread the word. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you again. All right. Thanks so much, Jake. <laughs>